0: So, in many denominations and in many churches all over the world, these words are called out and then responded to in this way, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. Now, we're a non-denominational church, so we don't always do a whole lot of things traditional, but when we can, and when it's good, we should. That greeting is called the Paschal greeting, and it's based on Luke 24, Verse 34, which says, saying, the Lord has risen indeed. Do you know why this is important? That that we say this phrase? It's important because this is the way the gospel was spread. The gospel wasn't spread by talking about the good teachings of Jesus. The gospel wasn't even spread by talking about the death of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, was spread because of what? The resurrection of Jesus. Because he has risen because he is alive. And with that in mind, I want us to proclaim this together today. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Christ has risen, and you're going to say he has risen indeed. And if you forget what you're going to say, it's right there in huge italic words. Okay? And this is opportunity to be loud. Okay, I know like a sports team's not playing, but let's do this. Christ is risen. He is risen Christ is risen. He is risen I could honestly do that all day. That's awesome. Good job, you guys. Uh, if you if you want to turn uh, with me, you can in your Bibles or your Bible apps to John chapter 19. Otherwise, we'll have uh, the scriptures uh, placed up on the screen for us today. We're going to read from John's account of the crucifixion. So John chapter 19, I'm going to give us just a moment uh, as some may be turning there. And we're going to start with verse 17. Verse 17, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Uh, the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate responded, what I have written, I have written. Down to verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Referring to John. Then he said to the disciple, John, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Uh, I want to pause right there. I think it's amazing that even on the cross, even as Jesus is drawing his last breaths, excruciating breaths, by the way, not easily said breath. Every time he went to draw a breath, he would have to pull himself up on the weight of the spikes that were put through his feet and, and through his wrists, to draw breath, and he's sitting there saying this. He's sitting there caring for his mother. Now, why is he caring for his mother and turning to John, who John always likes to point out this is the disciple Jesus left? Why is he asking his mom to be cared for by John? Because his earthly dad had died. We, we don't, there's not a record of it in Scripture, but had Mary not been a widow, this wouldn't be asked of her because Joseph would take care of of Mary. I find it amazing that Jesus can relate to all of our sorrows, including the loss of a loved one, because clearly, even though it's not specifically mentioned, he had lost his earthly father, Joseph. Down to verse uh, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I. Thirst. I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. There's something very curious about John's telling of the crucifixion of Jesus. History tells us that John was the only of the 12 disciples who were physically present at the crucifixion. The rest of them ran. I guess John does have a little bit of merit in saying the one who, you know, Jesus loved, because he didn't run. He was there physically at the crucifixion. But this is the part that's curious to me. Verse 28 again. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, him knowing that these are my final moments. This is it. I'm. Soon I will be dead. He said, I thirst. Jesus said, I thirst. In the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is what I'm reading from today, um, the scripture doesn't say, I am thirsty. And, and, and I like that it says, I thirst. And I'm glad it reads this way for one. Main reason. I do not think Jesus was thirsting for a physical cup. He, he wasn't saying, I'm physically thirsty. Thirsting for a physical cup. I believe he was thirsting for a spiritual cup. Jesus says this phrase, I thirst at the end of his crucifixion when he knew that all was finished. Now, Jesus did know that there was one prophecy that still needed to be fulfilled on the cross. And that prophecy, we can see it in Psalm sixty-nine, twenty-one. says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. And so Jesus, knowing all prophecies, knew that that, that prophecy still had to be fulfilled. But here's what's interesting. Six hours earlier, Roman soldiers had actually done this really out-of-place, humanitarian Effort, And at the start of of the crucifixion, they offered Jesus a drink six hours prior and he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't receive it. We see this in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 33. And when they came to a place called uh, Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. The drink offered to Jesus, it was a a cheap Roman vinegar that was also mixed with either myrrh or gall because they were numbing agents. It was was like a drugged up sour wine. But it it served as a numbing agent and they actually offered it to those who were being crucified to numb them a bit before they were crucified. And Jesus refuses the wine. Jesus refused this drugged wine so that he could go through his suffering with what? With clarity. With a clear mind. He didn't want his senses dulled. He didn't want his thinking dulled. He didn't even want his feeling dulled. Christ refused. drink six hours prior so for six hours Jesus was crucified for six hours he was mocked and ashamed because they did crucifixion naked prior he'd been spat upon he'd been beaten he'd been falsely accused he'd had six trials Three with the Roman government, all three he was found innocent, not guilty. I don't see any guilt in this man. Three with with the Roman or with the Jewish religious leaders, all three of them, they found him guilty. And ultimately, just out of political pressure, Pilate, not wanting to be called that he wasn't a friend of Caesar and lose his post, he finally washed his hands of the matter and said, You do what you will, an innocent Jesus was crucified. Six hours he hung on the cross. And Jesus rejected a drink that would numb him from these things. Victims of crucifixion were to be humiliated. The Roman government was trying to make a point. They were trying to make a, a point of those who were hanging up there to deter people from crime, from, from those serious crimes. It was meant to shame them. That's why they were fully naked. The cross carried a shameful disgrace. And Jewish law said it brought a curse. And we see this in Galatians 3.13. It says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. This was an excruciating way to die. Did you know that excruciating comes from the word crucify? Excruciating literally means out of crucifying. If you look at the C-R-U-C-I in both words, that's where that word comes from. And Jesus knew this. He was familiar with crucifixion. He was familiar with what it looked like, what it sounded like, how devastating it was. Everybody in that region was familiar with it. And he also knew this was to be his death. To fulfill scripture and out of obedience to the Father. And done, to tear down the wall and the curse and the shame that separated us from God. So he became cursed for us. Jesus knew this was horrendous. So much so that he made this plea to the Father while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw away. Um, For some of you, that's like 10 feet. Because you don't got good arms. I'm sorry. Some of you can't throw. For others, it's like, you know, a baseball field, I suppose. So he, he separated himself. He withdrew. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup. Remove this cup. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I love this. I love it to see the humanity of Jesus Christ. I love to see that Jesus had doubt. I love to see that that Jesus was wrecked in this moment, that he was enduring things that we endure all the time when we have doubt and that we're wrecked and that we're uncertain. But I love that he was still submitted nevertheless. Not my will. I don't want my will at the expense of you not getting your way. Friends, how many of us can say the same thing? Lord, um... I don't want my way at the expense of you not getting your way. Our heart should be, Lord, I want you to have your way and I want you to strengthen me so that I can walk according to what you're asking, to what you've asked, to what you want. So what is this cup that Jesus is asking the Father to, move, to remove from him? The cup of suffering. The cup of shame. Sin. Isolation and loneliness, utter loneliness. The cup of rejection, abandonment, and rebellion. Jesus had always done the will of the Father. We see in Scripture that Jesus didn't do anything except what he heard the Father saying. He did nothing of his own accord but what the Father told him to do. His whole life was obedience and submission And soon, he's about to be forsaken. We see the fulfillment of this in Matthew's telling of the crucifixion. In Matthew 27, verse 46, And about the ninth hour, and Jesus, he, he, the crucifixion began at the third hour, so six hours later, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi! Eloi lama sabaktani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me why did jesus say that god forsook him because god forsook him he didn't just feel like he was forsaken he was forsaken at that moment he was forsaken why So that you wouldn't be. So that I wouldn't be. Jesus was forsaken so that you and I would never be run out on. Never forsaken. Never abandoned. Jesus took on the burden of being forsaken by God so we would never have to carry that unbearable weight. Salvation is about grace. Salvation is not about works. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Do you believe that? It's truth. There's nothing you can do, there's no level of goodness you can can be to earn your salvation. Do you believe that? then you must believe this, that there's nothing you can do to make God forsake you. There's no work you can do to earn your salvation, and there's no work you can do to get God to run out on you, to forsake you. If your salvation was by works, then you could do something to make God reject you, which, quite honestly, sometimes we do on purpose because we look at our own self-worth and we, we see that we don't measure up and we see that, that we don't deserve grace and that we don't deserve His mercy and that we've done too many bad things and we've been, we've been down one too many paths that didn't glorify God. And so there's times we try and push God away and we try and reject Him. And how awesome is it that our God says, I will not reject you because of the work of Jesus Christ he rejected his son, so that you and I would never be rejected by the Father. If you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've placed your heart in your life and you, if you've believed in Jesus, then you don't have to fear rejection. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Back to the cup. A little while later, while Jesus was still in the garden, he had, he had prayed, Lord, if this cup can be taken from me. So he's still in the garden of Gethsemane. And Judas, the betrayer, shows up with the temple guards to, to betray and to hand over Jesus. Seeing this betrayal and experiencing this fear, Peter responds, I mean, the way Peter responds, I mean, Peter responded in fear. John 18.10 then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. I, I, I love that, that John's like, it, it was Malchus. You guys know Malchus. We've all wanted to slice his ear off from time to time, but Peter actually did. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. And then listen to this. This is powerful. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. I, I don't know how long Jesus had been praying there. And I don't know how long it took between Jesus saying, Father, if possible, let this cup be taken from me. And then he says this. But we know that whatever that time frame was, he reconciled in his heart. This is mine to drink. And I would do so. And nothing will stop me, even to the point where it might sound like a little hypocritical, where Jesus is rebuking Peter when Jesus just had doubts earlier. But at least Jesus didn't like, you know. By the way, Jesus did restore the man's ear. Jesus healed the man's ear, so Malchus is good. He had a great story to tell. Again, we see the cup. Earlier in the garden, if, if this cup could be taken from me. Here, still in the garden, We see, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And then on the cross, we see the cup again. I thirst. I said it before, I don't believe Jesus was thirsting for a physical drink. I don't believe at the end of six hours of excruciating pain on the cross that at that point Jesus would be thinking about his physical needs and saying I'm thirsty for something to quench my thirst at the end of his life Jesus was ready to drink the cup of suffering I don't believe this phrase was said for the people standing by. I don't believe it was said for the soldiers who were within arm's length length of the, the wine. I believe this was said to the Father. I thirst. I believe what Jesus was saying is, I'm ready now. In fact, I'm so ready to take on the sins of the world. I'm so ready to take on the shame and the suffering and the abandonment and the rebellion and the death that I'm thirsty for it. And he says, I thirst. That's Jesus. Jesus, who for six hours, has said, I don't want to be numbed. I don't want to be dulled. I want there to be clarity about this purpose, who was faithful to the very end even in the midst of doubt, even in the midst of acknowledging, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That even that was to fulfill prophecy. I'm ready to drink the cup. In that cup was your sin. In that cup was my sin. In that cup was the sins of the world. And I promise you this. I promise you this. Jesus was so thirsty to drink of that cup, he didn't leave a drop. He drank it dry. He drank every bit of our sin and our shame, of every curse. He took it all. Verse 30 of John 19, when Jesus had received the sour wine, the sins of the world, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Everything that was needed to restore sinful man to a holy God has been done. It's been completely finished. That word finished it's it's actually a business term. It's a Greek word for a business term that says the uh, it's a finalized transaction. It's a finalized transaction. Transaction complete, paid in full. The Bible says that Jesus purchased you with his own blood. And then Jesus uses this word to say transaction's finalized. Transaction's completed. So if it's complete, what do you and I have to do? We have to believe. And in believing, we receive. We have to believe. Romans ten nine says this. If you confess with your mouth, if you make known with your mouth, you make it known, you declare, you confess, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We don't, we don't confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus died for our sins, period. Because then, then, then it would be okay to still have a representation of Jesus on the cross. Still dying for our sins, but it is finished. The transaction's complete. He's not on the cross. He died and was taken off the cross. You know, every time I watch the TV show, The Chosen, uh, Christine, Kanye's turned me on to that. She's back there going, woo-woo, hooty-hoo, Chosen. Um, season one, there's Nicodemus. And every time I would see Nicodemus, I'm like, that's the man. Who, along with Joseph of Arimathea, will take Jesus off the cross and will wrap him and will bury him. That's the man because he touched a dead body. Nicodemus and Joseph, they'll both have to then have a cleansing period of a week because they dared touch something unclean. But they so loved Jesus, they tended to his dead body. And I, I want to emphasize dead body. He died. He was buried. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins, and it's not just that Jesus died for our sins and that he was buried. To be saved, you must believe that he rose from the grave. You must confess with your mouth and believe that he is Alive, And that is the reason we have life. Because he's alive. Because he conquered death. Because the the tomb did not contain him. The removal of sin took place when Jesus drank that cup on the cross of our sins. And at that point, by his blood, we... We are cleansed. Our sin has been washed away. But he became Lord and King and conquering hero and victorious Savior when he emerged from that tomb. Alive. All right. I want to bring it down a little. Because I get excited. I don't want to be excited in this because I don't want want to seem rah-rah-go-go, like, you know, emotionality. Even though I'm a very emotional guy. And here's why. If you don't know Jesus, you can know him now. And it's a simple it's, its simple and rich at the same time. You just got to believe. You got to believe that he's alive, that he conquered death, that he rose from the grave by, by the Spirit of God. He rose to life and then he's alive. And then you have to confess. You can't think this part. You can't think this part. It has to be a declaration because you first prophesy it out. And you declare it, and then you start living it, and that is Jesus is Lord. I believe Jesus is Lord. Now, we, we do a lot of things. We say, hey, repeat a prayer after me, which is wonderful. I love repeating prayers. I love repeating prayers. I love reading psalms and praying psalms. I, and sometimes we'll repeat, Lord, forgive me of my sins. You know, Come into my life you know, uh, uh, make me new, make me a new creation. And we pray, but I love the simplicity of Romans 10:9. Believe Jesus is alive and confess with your mouth he is Lord and you'll be saved. No penance to pay, no laps to run, no push-ups to do, no additional prayers to make, just a declaration and then follow him. When did Jesus become Lord of all? When he rose. When he threw aside that stone that covered his tomb. That was, that was The stone was rolled in front of the borrowed tomb and then sealed with mortar. Sealed. Just so there was no chance. They were afraid the disciples were going to come and steal his body and say, Look, he's risen. By the way, if you do steal a body, I don't think you should steal a body. I think it's, that's probably really wrong. But if you do... Man, don't leave the clothes there. Just take the whole body and the clothes. Like, but here we see the clothes were left in the tomb. So either these are the worst tomb robbers in the history of the world, or Jesus rose from the grave. If only we could know for sure. If only we could know. Well, Jesus even made allotment for that. i want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel... I preached to you when you received in which you stand and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried. So let me back up. Can we say, can we hold up number one? Christ died for our sins. That's number one. Alright, number two. That he was buried. We don't talk enough about that Jesus was buried. He was buried. I see a lot of twos going down. I don't know why. There were a lot of number ones, and now we're throwing deuces, and everyone's like, oh, okay. Number three. That he was raised on the third day. But it doesn't end there. Did you know that? Number two he appeared and 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 for 40 days he appeared for 40 days we see in scripture that at one point well I guess I'll just keep on reading help if I keep reading he appeared to Cephas to Peter and then to the 12 he appeared to more than 500 so do 500 okay he appeared to to five to more than five hundred brothers at one time. I don't know why they always like do like to five hundred men. So if it was five hundred brothers, how many women and kids were there? Because it says that he appeared to them at one time. I don't know, but let's just let's say five hundred, because that's what scripture says. Let's just He appeared to at least five hundred and fifteen people that we see of, not counting any of the women and children that were there when Jesus Spoke to them again after the resurrection saying, hey, I just want you to see. I want you to see I'm alive. I, I don't want it to even be a big reach for you. To I don't want you to have to have a step of faith to believe that I rose from the grave. I want you to see it. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to have breakfast ready for you. Why don't you go fishing? Fish all night. You're not going to catch anything. I'm going to holler out to you Tell you, throw your nets on the other side. At that point, something's going to come alive at you and you're going to realize it's Jesus. And then come to the shore. Peter, you can swim to the shore. You're going to be so excited. And I'm going to have breakfast ready for you. Hey, did you hear that Jesus was alive? Yeah, I had breakfast with him yesterday. It was awesome. We went fishing together. I don't think we talk about this enough. He rose from the grave and then he appeared for 40 days. Do you know that within, at that time, Christianity became banned by the Roman government? At that time, they're like, this guy was way more powerful than I thought. His disciples are way more powerful. All of a sudden, now there are thousands. I thought we killed this guy, and now there are thousands saying that he's alive and that he is Savior. And they're following him, so they banned Christianity. And in 200 and something years, less than 300 years later, you know what Christianity was? The official religion of the Roman government. The official religion of Rome. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because he's alive. So I'll ask you this, church. Why do we live our lives thinking he's not alive? How do we live our lives not realizing he is alive that's not even a stretch it's historically accurate there's not a there's not a court system, a judicial system in any country in any time frame ever that would count that would contradict the eyewitness of five hundred people you realize that I mean you know, I go to the store, someone robs the store. The police say, hey, you're a witness. You know, what happened? I'm like, uh, Marie robbed the store. Marie would never rob the store. She'd be the mastermind behind it. The Bible would rob it. One witness. Over 500 people in line to say, oh, yeah, let me tell you about my story with the risen Jesus. So I'll ask you guys, what's your story with the risen Jesus? What's your story with the risen Savior? Do you believe that you'll never be abandoned? Because Jesus did it for you. Do you believe that that the power of grace is greater than the heaviness of shame? Do you believe that when he said, I forgive you, I meant it, and that we can come to him and we can bring all things to him? We can repent and change our minds about Sin and lifestyles and habits, and and line up with God and follow Him to amazing, amazing adventures and amazing blessings. It is fact. It is fact. Jesus was crucified. It's in Roman documentation and it's in Hebrew, Jewish documentation. It's a fact. Jesus died. It's a fact Jesus was buried. It's a fact. Jesus rose from the rose from the dead on the 3rd day. It's a fact. Jesus appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men and I don't know how many women. But hundreds of people, thousands of people, I say. And Jesus never died again. He never died again. He lives. He ascended, he seated at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit so that we could we could walk in power and life and guidance and that that, that we would he would be with us always. And you do realize that when Jesus was was here on earth, he couldn't be everywhere at once. You realize that, right? Because he was a man. He couldn't be at my house and at Euchar's house at the same time. That's not he was a man. Where he was is where he was. You realize now the Holy Spirit is with all of us all the time never leaving us, never forsaking us, never checking out on me to go hang out with my mom, but being with both of us at the same time. Jesus lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as we close out the service. And with the words of He is risen indeed, I'm going to ask you one more time To proclaim this truth. Understanding that this is the truth. By which the gospel message. Is spread. Jesus lives. And so I live. Jesus lives. So you can live. Christ is risen. I want to pray a blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day. Be full of hope, full of joy, full of strength, and full of faith. And you can be full because the cup of Christ is empty. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day.